This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Welcome, everyone. My name is Dylan Shirley, and I'll be your host for this week's episode. Today, I'm joined by Sean Prager. He is an associate professor within the Departments of Plant Science and Biology at the University of Saskatchewan. Sean, welcome to Inputs. Thank you. Hi, Dylan. And hello. And today, we're going to dive into some viruses and a potential new project that Dr. Sean Prager is, is involved in at the University of Saskatchewan. And this virus in itself is something quite important to the pulse industry, as we will be talking about PC-borne mosaic virus, or PCBMV. And before we get into the fun things that you're planning on doing for this project, let's lay some groundwork here. And so, Sean, could you tell me a little bit exactly what is PC-borne mosaic virus and some of the symptoms that a producer might see on peas? Sure. Well, so PC more mosaic virus, as it implies, is a mosaic virus, and it's a podivirus. So it's in the family Podiviridae, which is a family of plant viruses, all plant viruses. They are all insect transmitted, or at least all the ones that anyone can think of. They can also be transmitted in other ways, depending on the particulars. And they're basically all non-persistently transmitted, which means that they do not replicate inside an insect, but rather are just sort of passed from an insect vector when they are sort of moving between plants. So as an insect feeds, it moves plant to plant and kind of transmits the virus. They're actually capable, or this virus is capable of infecting not just peas, so it is a pea virus as the name site, but actually it's a virus that can infect numerous pulse crops. So actually also lentils in fabulin is particularly problematic, but also peas and probably chickpea to a certain extent, and actually also alfalfa, so most legumes. And then the symptoms vary a bit between the different crops and between in potentially varieties. But as the name implies, obviously you get mosaicing. So mosaicing is sort of a yellowing pattern, kind of looks chlorotic. And that happens in most crops when it's infected. You can also get tendrils. So you can get sort of kind of stringy, runny leaves and stems. And then in some plants, so at least in fabulae and in peas, you get heavily distorted seed. So the seed has a kind of a tennis ball pattern. It's very characteristic. And obviously that makes the seed completely unusable. So the seed is inviolable in most, in many cases, not in all cases, in severe cases. And then there's a whole series of different symptoms that sort of vary more specifically. So you can get abortions, you can get necrosis in some cases, you can get a lot of flowers are aborted, stunting, shortening nodes. It all depends on the particulars. So a fair bit of different symptomology across when one of these legumes actually does get infected by yeah. the virus. So in general, uh, do we have any idea f- about some actual hard yield data numbers on what happens to the crop of producer? Don't in Saskatchewan, but in North Dakota, so if you jump the border, they have numbers that say they have had years where 50% loss has occurred. And in the Palouse region, so that's the sort of Washington, Idaho pulse growing region, they have, you know, double digit losses pretty regularly. So, so in the places that aren't here, where, where they're better accounting for it, we know that it can cause pretty severe losses when you have bad outbreaks. 
Right. And just diving a little bit deeper into the virus itself, is this just kind of one pathotype that kind of can infect all these different legumes or is the mosaic virus just a little bit more tricky that way and have different types of the virus that can only infect certain cultivars or certain crop types? Excellent question. Yes. We don't know. The answer is we don't fully know. So there are different pathotypes. We know that the one that we find in Saskatchewan is a particular pathotype. So we've done work, we've sequenced it, and we know where it matches up against other pathotypes. We don't know if there's others here because we don't have a very good program currently to to evaluate that. And we don't entirely know how adapted or how likely they are to cause problems. So that's actually one of the goals of this, this, this new project is to try to see sort of how they have to adapt to become more or less virulent to different different plants. But generally speaking, most of them we think probably could infect most of our crops. It's just that we don't necessarily have these different pathotypes. They tend to be a little bit geographically restricted. And hopefully they say restricted just for that we purpose. <laughs> yes. So you mentioned that this uh, virus can be vectored via insects. What type of insects are we talking about? PAF. So, so the two ways it's primarily transmitted are through seed, as the name implies, and through PA for feeding. Right. And for just in general, are there any other kind of aphids that have been known to transmit this virus? Or is it strictly just within this aphid that can then feed on all these other different crop types? Probably it could be transmitted by other aphids. Soybean aphid likely could transmit it. But since pea aphid is the primary aphid species on these crops, that's the one you would most likely expect to be the one that transmits it because it's non-persistent. So, so non-persistence is sort of like fancy epidemiological word. What it basically means is that instead of, say, doing what a mosquito does where you eat the pathogen and it goes all through your insect body and then it gets into your insect gut and then when you feed, you sort of salivate and the plant gets infected again. This is actually more just like kind of a dirty needle is the example we often use. So basically what happens is the virus gets right onto the needle, which is the mouth parts in this case, so the insect mouth. And when it sticks it into a plant, it rubs off and then the plant gets infected. What that means is that that insect may not have any more virus. So it's sort of like everything rubs off. But when that insect then goes to another plant that has that virus, it picks it up again and it sort of moves it from plant to plant. And it has epidemiological consequences because it means that it can not infect as many plants per insect, but unfortunately it means they can infect a plant very quickly. Because of this sort of rubbing nature where it's sort of not as intimately associated with the insect as other kinds of pathogens are, what it means is probably other aphids feeding on those plants could also transmit it. It just so happens that in in these in the legumes, right, in the pulses, it's generally P aphids that are what we have. And I imagine for plants themselves, it's it's slightly more difficult to be resistant just to aphid feeding. But are there any known resistant varieties of peas, for example, that uh, have been examined or looked at? There's some resistance in peas. There's a little bit of resistance, perhaps, in lentil, a little. A little bit of resistance, perhaps, in fava bean, but not much. And none of it is known to exist in the cultivars that we grow in Saskatchewan, which of course is a problem because we grow cultivars of pulses that are particularly adapted for our growing conditions. So, 
Right. So speaking of Saskatchewan, you you did mention that PC or mosaic virus is found in Saskatchewan, but how prevalent is the occurrence or incidence of this virus in Saskatchewan? We don't know. Short answer, we don't know. So another project we have is trying to get our heads exactly around that. So that was funded by several groups last year. And part of our intention is to try to figure that out. There's not a lot of historical accounts of mass problems, but there's accounts of the virus showing up as early as the 60s, which means you're talking about almost as long as we've been growing pulses in the prairies that's been here. It's very difficult to detect and actually quantify what you have. And so the reliability of many of those records is not very good. So, so we don't really know, but we certainly know we find it here and there. Looking for robust, reliable grain storage solutions? AGI leads the industry in quality, innovation, and offerings to protect your investment and give you peace of mind. Specifically designed for exceptional cleanout, superior strength, and unbeatable versatility, you can rest easy knowing your grain is secure in an AGI West Steel bin. With 100 years of manufacturing experience, AGI West Steel bins will exceed your expectations for reliable storage. AGI West Steel, long-term safe storage. Learn more about AGI West Steel at your local dealer. Well, it's a very good thing then. It sounds like this is something that producers, especially pulse producers, should be kind of looking into or wanting some more research. So fortunately, your project was funded through the Saskatchewan Agriculture Development Fund this past year. And through that project, there seems to be a series of objectives. And I was hoping you could go through some of them. I know we've talked about the need for monitoring and getting a better idea of where and how bad the virus is in Saskatchewan. But could you go over some of the other objectives and just talk about the overall project goals that you hope to better understand at the end of the at the end of the project. Sure. I should also add that it's it's co-funded by the Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. So there's checkoff money, which is always important to acknowledge. So this project, it's helpful to sort of step back and say that this is sort of a dovetail to a second to this earlier project. So we really have two projects that are kind of running parallel. So one is intended to help develop some better detection tools and get some better ideas of what symptomology looks like on the different pulses, how long it takes aphids to infect the plant. So some of these pieces of information that are more directly useful to growers more immediately. The second project, the more recent one, it's meant to help us get a feel for some of the things that will be necessary kind of moving forward. So the first thing we want to do is really look and see how easily PC more mosaic virus can adapt to different legumes. So that is to say, if it does get in from one of these other places, or if it starts coming more commonly, let's say over the border, or if one of these other biotypes you asked about were to invade, the question is, how well does it adapt to specific varieties? So that is, can you get a lentil-specific version or a fava-specific version or a version that's more or less virulent to those? And so that's, that's sort of the first part. And that's really important just to help us get an idea of whether or not we're likely to get localized versions of things, because now we presume that we don't. And that's just because the virus hasn't probably been here along with the plants that long, but we don't know. So that, that's sort of the first part of it. The second part that comes from that, which is more important, is that we want to try to determine how sort of robust what resistance we can find is. So the idea is that if you if you expose 
all of these different crops repeatedly to the virus. What you're hoping to find is some either varieties of crops or some legumes or some wild legumes, things like that, that will have traits that allow them to be a little bit more resistant to these plants. And then the next idea would be to, to see how resistant is, how sort of resilient is it. So are they things that we can actually, that will hold for a long time? And if so, that becomes something that's really valuable to move on to sort of the pulse breeders. So you can kind of pass that along to the, the pea and lentil breeders, because then they have an idea of what traits might be helpful in the plant, or conversely, what it is in the virus that is causing those particular symptoms, right? So that's that's sort of the second part. And, and then related to that, what you want to then look at is the interaction between the virus and a plant. So, so just like anything else when you're getting sick from a virus, right? The virus is doing things to the plant, which makes the plant sick. Sometimes it's things the plant the virus is producing. Often it's just the nature of a virus hijacking the plant's machinery. So as you start looking at sort of how these different lineages and adaptions can happen, you can start getting an idea of what to do. And then what that then lets you do or what we're hoping to, and that really leads to the sort of, and arguably the most important part of this, is to turn the virus into a vector. So if you understand how the virus works in certain ways and what things you can turn on and off, you can also use the virus to make CRISPR-Cas9 modifications of things, which is very difficult in plants and it's particularly different in pulses. So that then allows you to start playing with all kinds of entering genes and turning things off and moving the virus. And even down the road in a particularly, in a really special way, you might even be able to make something equivalent to a, a vaccine. You could actually inoculate the plant with a like sort of a deactivated virus or something where it prevents the more virulent versions. So, so a lot of this is about making tools that we can use to do other stuff down the road rather than immediate things that you will see. Right. And that sounds all fantastic. Just kind of giving producers and agronomists and researchers just a better way of actually being able to detect and look to protect the the crops from this mosaic virus. So just one last thing, we talked a little bit just about knowing where incidents are in Saskatchewan. And so right now, just where's the technology at for detecting this mosaic virus? Is it something that has to be sent off to another lab or is there somewhere within the province that are able to actually determine if a plant has been infected by the mosaic virus? So the best analogy for this is COVID. So there are test strips. There's a, there's the equivalent of the rapid tests that you use for COVID that you can buy for your plants. And they are expensive and you have to order them. They're about $5 a test, I think, last I checked. They work all right. And you can do one plant per test and you can do it in the field. And they're just like a COVID test. They're relatively not sensitive, relatively insensitive, but they will tell you. You can buy those. You can buy them through testing laboratories and they'll send them to you in the mail. And so that's, that is a thing. There's no infrastructure in the province specifically for testing for this virus or actually for most of the plant viruses. So currently you probably could send it to the diagnostic lab in Regina, but they are not set up to do this on any kind of rapid basis. So in fact, the best testing usually is done in sort of my own lab, but we're not set up to do this high throughput either. And that is one of the things that's coming out of this first of these two pieces of this grant is to try to 
get them some more robust sort of straightforward assays because the best way to do it is through quantitative PCR, which is a multi-step process. Right. Just trying to develop something that might be a little bit more, not necessarily real time, but just a little bit faster so that producers are actually able to get a better handle of the situation if they are concerned about having PC mosaic virus in their field. I think seedborne because there's also PC mosaic virus, oddly enough. What I would say is that the current ELISA-based test, these, these test strips, are perfectly fine if you're a grower and you just sort of have a, have some ugly plants and you're concerned what they are. But I think that that's not, it, well, I know it's not a viable way of doing things if you want to, say, have surveys that we do for, say, insect pests or for club root or anthracnose, anything like that. It, it's not viable. It's too expensive. It's too time consuming. So what we are, a lot of what we need are tools that are more consistent and more high throughput for the bigger surveys. So we can monitor it sort of provincially in a way that's plausible because to do it any other way is not terribly, not terribly efficient. Right. So, and just lastly, before uh, we finish up today, I, I wanted to give producers perhaps some best management practices or maybe some IPA related tactics into maybe managing or trying to prevent this seaborne mosaic virus from even entering their field. So Sean, could you perhaps share some tips and tricks that you might know for dealing with maybe the, the, the vector of this virus? Sure. The first thing is to point out is that seed is important, right? So infected seed turns into infected plants. And if you don't have infected plants, that solves the problem. Unfortunately, we don't have seed certification for these things in the province. So that isn't a thing. But certainly if you, you know, look at your seed and it looks weird, it's very distinct patterning that often, especially in fogly and a pea. So one thing is just look at your seed. If you're getting a bunch of seed that looks weird, you probably ought to be concerned and see if someone can't check into it for you. That said, the next thing you can do is you control the virus by controlling the vector. That's sort of the tagline we give people. And that means keeping your aphid numbers relatively low. Unfortunately, even though, and this came out of my lab, we, we now have economic thresholds actually for P aphid in lentil and fava bean, and there's already ones for P that have been around for a while, they don't account for the virus. So we don't know what the threshold difference is when you have uninfected and, and infected aphids. But because these aphids transmit the virus so quickly, your, your best bet is really just to look for ugly plants, look for plants that don't look right, and, and then just to keep your aphid numbers reasonable to begin with. And if you see funny looking plants, yeah, be more vigilant against the aphids. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us today on Inputs. If people have questions and want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me perhaps in my office at the University of Saskatchewan. They, and, they can, and they can get it to a hold of us. And, and actually anyone in my lab, including people that work on this project, um, through PragerLab.ca. Great. Well, Sean, thank you again for joining us on Inputs. You're welcome. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To hear more great research and perspectives from industry experts, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts or catch up on past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.